The Introvert's Edge podcast was designed to create a dialogue around introversion, to stimulate a discussion around our disadvantages, how we overcome those disadvantages, and what we consider our introvert's edge. Together, we're finally going to confront the stigma around introversion, showing that we're not second-class citizens. We're just different, and we need to embrace that. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Introverts Edge podcast. Today, I have an exciting guest for you. He's a personal friend who actually contributes to the Fortune 100 Best Companies to Work through his organization, Great Place to Work. His name is Ed Fraunheim, and he's the Director of Research and Content for Great Place to Work, and also, as a personal compliment, worked with me on an article called Why Austin is the Rockstar of Small Business Cities. He's always so focused on making sure that organizations foster a community of inclusiveness across gender, culture, and of course, for introverts and extroverts. So with no further ado, I'd love to welcome to the show, Ed Fraunheim. Ed, thanks so much for joining. Matthew, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited about having you on the show because while a lot of people have talked about specific topics around how them for themselves handle leading others and speaking in public and networking, we haven't had anybody really talk about how to create and foster a great culture for both introverted and extroverted people. And I know a lot of leaders are like, well, do I need to focus on introverts or do I need to focus on extroverts? How do I do that in a way that best will allow my organization to flourish and grow? And I think that you're perfectly placed to talk about that. So I'd love it if you could share some of your wealth of experience with us. My pleasure to, to share what we have to say about that, Matthew. The biggest point we might make about how to a great place to work for introverts as well as extroverts is really to think about how to create a great place to work for all. That's the phrase that really has been guiding us over the last couple of years as we've kind of updated our methodology and our mission, really, to try to ask companies and push for companies to create a culture that really does work for everybody. And so introverts are among the folks that maybe haven't historically benefited as well as extroverts in companies, just as we have found in our data that, that women haven't has had a good experience as men have. Uh, ethnic minorities haven't had as good an experience as, as whites have. And you also can find that the leaders of an organization tend to have a much better experience than those lower down in the organization. And we're really setting a higher bar now overall. When companies are working on the culture, they should create a great place to work for all. Just as a quick kind of rejoinder to that, it's not just because it's good to do for the world or for introverts or for all the other groups that maybe haven't had as great an experience, but it's just good business. We have found the business benefits of, of having a more consistently great workplace are striking. Three times the revenue growth when you can close the gap between the experience of the companies that have the, the, the most consistently great experience versus the ones that are at least consistently great. It's a 3x revenue boost. So that's just one example of, of why you should be doing this, not just for the sake of the people, but for the business as well. Well, that's great because I, I know that a lot of people listening may be introverts themselves and may want to pass this on to their HR team to listen to about how they can embrace the power of, of introverts, not just the skill sets that introverts have, but also to, to educate them on specific techniques to master what would be considered perhaps more extroverted activities. But from your perspective, as a leader, if you're trying to look at how to aid and empower the introverted community within your organization, what are some of the things you should be thinking about? I think one of the first things to think about is leaders should really get to know all their people. We have a new leadership model that we call the for all leadership model. And what we mean by 
the, the top tier of that model, the level five leader, is really a for-all leader. And that means that they are able to have virtually everybody on their team having a great experience. And to do that, it really means individualizing the way you lead. It means talking to each person on your team, checking in with them, and understanding what their, what their values are, what their visions are, what their character is, what their personality is, so that you can really bring out the best of the introverts on your team, as well as the extroverts or the ambiverts, but you know what makes them tick and you are responsive to them. So that's kind of a high level point. And it, this style isn't just specific to helping out introverts, but it helps all these other groups that have historically not had as much authority or haven't had as good an experience in the organization, whether that's women or, or those lower down in the organization or my ethnic minorities as well, as we've talked about. What I find, though, is a lot of leaders are in that situation now where they feel like there's so many demands on them. They, they have to be all inclusive. They have to focus on all these different personality types. They have to foster great relationships with so many different diverse groups. And this is just another thing that they've got to be mindful of. If you were in a situation where you were a leader and you were just trying to make the first steps towards being more inclusive within your organization, how would you go about doing that? Good question. I think that first part is almost can't be under, overstated enough, Matthew, the, the, first, the part about listening. Because I think once you listen to your folks, the answer to about what's next is probably going to show up. It may be that you're going to hear that one of your people would like to have a little more space physically in the office that, that is a little more solitary, that maybe the, the open floor plan doesn't work for them. And, and they're calling for, you know, there's a space over here that you, it's kind of a not very often used conference room. Can I spend a bunch of my time there, for example? Or maybe there's someone else who, who is saying, you know, the way we're having these meetings, it just isn't working for me because I have some ideas, but three other people are always the ones who talk the whole time. And so then maybe you start adjusting your meeting techniques such that you have, maybe you spend some time writing. Everyone gets a a minute or two to write their ideas down at the beginning, and then you maybe share them, or whoever wants to share can share, or maybe ask everybody to share. The next step is not as clear to me, but the first step is quite clear, which is to say, understand what makes people tick. You know, make that personal connection to really understand who your people are and what's going to help them thrive. So if I'm understanding this correctly, really what we're trying to be doing is having conversations to really understand at a deeper level who our staff are, but then actively listening to the answers and then looking for solutions to be able to create a happier workplace or a happier workplace environment for everybody that's concerned. Well put. Good, good active listening on your part, Matthew. <laughs> Well, great. Well, what I'm actually really interested in, because I know you've got a huge amount of research that this is based on. So this isn't just you've got some great ideas. Great Place to Work really focuses on backing all that they say up by research. And they've kind of created this, what they call the five levels of leadership. I would love for you to put that through the lens of a a leader looking at their introverted staff and and tell me the real value in both understanding the model, but also applying it in the day-to-day workplace. Sure. Well, this model is something that we just came up with in, in the last year or so, and it came, came out of a study of about 75,000 employees and 10,000 leaders at companies that we have certified as great workplaces. So they, they already are companies that are doing a pretty good job, but within those companies, there's, there's uneven levels of leadership. And what we did when we studied the data points of what employee surveys reflected about particular leaders, we learned that you could really break them down into what we call five levels. The top level, as we mentioned, is the for all leader, where more than 90% of the people are having a great experience. The next one we, we call the, the good leader, and then you're having a, more like 80% of the people are having a great experience, and it, it kind of boils down. The third level three is about 60%, level two is about 50%, and level one is about only 30%. As you move up these levels, and when you're an employee on a team of, of a leader of these different levels, the team performance just improves dramatically. 
just to kind of, again, give the business case for this, Matthew, but if you go from level one to level five leadership, the productivity of your team jumps about 350%. It's just dramatically higher when, when people are all feeling great about That's their workplace, they give, they give their all. Or they're much more inclined to be innovative. They're giving their ideas, they're sharing ideas, they're helping the company out with better process or a better product. That goes up about 325%, the indicator for innovation as well. So this is some of what the research is saying. And think, again, it, it kind of comes down to how those individual leaders reach out and connect with their people. For example, one of the distinctions between the level four leader and the level five leader that is interesting is that the level four leader is almost like a heroic persona, Matthew. They try to take on the, the weight of the world and, and they protector of their people, but they aren't necessarily connecting their people to those in other parts of the organization. And if you put it in, in, through the lens of an introvert, for example, this leader might be the kind of person that is going to broker the, the conversation with the, the, uh, the department that's in the midst of a, you know, a joint project, but they'll handle all the communication. They aren't going to really empower their own folks to do that work, to, to sort of make that new connection, to uh, expand their professional network, say. The level five leader, on the other hand, is much more about getting out of the way, fostering connections, and then almost like a servant leader. That's another uh, you know, term that's out there that I think has got a lot in common with the level five leader, the for all leader. You serve your people to help them make those connections uh, so that you are, you're, kinda, you're not the, the hero. You're rather kind of helping your people become those heroes. That's really interesting. It, it's so funny to hear such, such small differences in leadership styles can make such an impact to ROI or productivity and, and innovation scores. Yeah, it is interesting to dig into the data, which can be complicated, but it does kind of boil down to when people feel great at work, they do great things. It's sort of this uh, simple concept that, that is at the core of our, our, our work. When everybody is pulling in the same direction and having a great feeling like they're part of a great culture where they can trust their leaders, they enjoy their, their colleagues, and they take pride in what they do, that's kind of our, our root model for a, for a great workplace. When that's consistently true across the organization for introverts and extroverts, men and women, et cetera, these organizations just take off. And I can give a quick example of, of one organization I've just done a deep study on. If, if, if you'd like me to share a little bit about a study we did on Hilton that, that has some of these principles. And, yeah, I'd love and, that. And you. Well, we Hilton's culture because Hilton, it wasn't specific to the extrovert question, but I think it, it speaks to it. We look at how they have done a great job of closing the gap between leaders and frontline employees. And the numbers show it. They're, over the last five years, they've dramatically increase the score, the, the overall workplace culture scores on our survey for individual contributors uh, up to the level of most managers. A key part of how they do it is kind of what, what I was mentioning before, that the individual leaders are speaking to their teammates, to those on their, on their team, and seeing themselves as teammates and working alongside them, getting to know them individually. Uh, I talked to one uh, Hilton catering manager in Chicago who talked about how she joined a team after it had been led by someone else for about 17 years or something like that, a long, long time. And she just kept having these one-on-one -on -one meetings to understand what makes like the 20 people or so on her team tick. She came away with very different answers. Sometimes people are, they just love coming up with new good ideas for the food, for the organization and for the clients. Other people might be in a very different place. Like they, their, mo their main focus is work-life balance because they've got a new baby at home. So that's the kind of way I think ultimately you get people to buy into the mission of the organization when they feel cared for, when they feel known. And I, that, that is a lesson that can really apply to, to managing introverts well, to bringing the best of them to the table. I think that's a really interesting message for introverts themselves as well, who are leaders, because so many introverts like the idea of creating a business because they then can run the business in the privacy of their own home or so they can develop a business that revolves around them, their family and their life, not the other way around. But then they have to, at some stage, employ staff. And 
if you're not constantly communicating with your staff and understanding what their motivators are and what's important to them, then you're always going to have staff that, by the sounds of this research, that are delivering subcore results and also their ideas that they provide or put on the table are going to be a lot less. We had Ryan Dice on the podcast a while back and he was talking about the fact that he always used to meet with his team and used to always have meetings individually to build a, a quality team to then step forward. And you know, now he's, his company's obviously a lot larger and he just works with the leadership team that then works with those staff members. But it all starts from developing that core team that will just do anything for you. And it, it sounds like yes. the proof is in, in the ROI that it seems even in all these top organizations that deliver. I think that's, that is exactly right. You, especially if you're at the top of an organization, you want to get your immediate team having that great experience. And we've actually home, homed in on that with a new category as measuring the 100 best workplaces as a, a bec- executive effectiveness. Does that top team work well together? And are they able to cascade that, that good experience down through the organization in a typical you know, hierarchical organization? So I think that's right. But I would say, I think that there are some some ways that introverted leaders can, can do the work that I'm describing that may not be as uncomfortable uh, or that may be more their speed. I think one thing that's underutilized in organizations and, and probably by some introverted leaders, making space for people to write ideas in, before they come to meetings and, or instead of meetings. You know, I think when you go to meetings and people, when you ask people to break into small groups and also breaking into pairs of two or say where it's not as difficult to for, for someone who has to speak in front of the, the whole group, for them to share an idea in a pair is a lot easier, right? So I think that if, if introverted leaders can, can do things where they might not have to be in front of a whole group necessarily, but they are gathering the, the viewpoints of, of a whole group whether it is through asynchronous responses, say like to a blog item and asking for feedback in writing or, or even video chat responses, or, or there's different means of doing this. But I think that, I think we too often have this one way of meeting and talking, which is a big group setting. That's where often the loudest voices are most comfortable. And then they, we miss out on the introverted perspective and, and it may not serve introverted leaders very well to do that. I think that's really great advice because you're right. I mean, when you say you need to meet with your staff, the automatic vision here is that I've got to sit down with all of my staff or I've got to meet with every one of my staff members individually. What you're really highlighting here is that I don't have to physically be in the same room. I could send a questionnaire. I could ask them a question about, could you tell me you know, what the most important thing to you is right now? One of the great clients that I worked with in the past, and you know, he sold his company for, I think it was $50 million only after a few years. And what he did is he got all of the people to post what their primary goal was in their personal life up on mm-hmm. the corkboard on the walk to the bathroom. And mm-hmm. the reason for that is so he could walk past it every day and see what was important to them and understand it. And he would write on the occasional one a little note about how he hopes they can get it or, or whatever just to show that he was reading these and paying attention to them. And he said mm-hmm. that that created such camaraderie because he felt that he was part of their goals and part of their destiny that they're trying to achieve. And as an introvert himself, that allowed him to feel a lot more comfortable because he could walk up to somebody's desk and just have a conversation with them about that as opposed to trying to figure out what to say. Yeah, that's great. And again, this is not just something that is a feel-good measure for introverts. The research I've seen on, on effective innovation indicates that People are much more effective in coming up with positive, productive, valuable ideas when they do first work individually, then come together. And often I think we have this notion of team brainstorming that is suboptimal, you know, and so it, the kind of practices you're describing with the, with the court board or, 
or that I'm talking about aren't just for helping introverts. It's actually for helping the organization. I think that's really valuable information because a lot of people that are listening might be going, oh, but I can't go and convince HR to change the entire practices within the business just to help introverts. Right. This will right. work as a whole. And the one thing that I think leaders out there listening should know is that not one leadership style works with all people and it doesn't work with all people all of the time. So this is one change of practice that you can do some of the time that will help perhaps more introverted people also help people come to a meeting with a little bit more direction. And then other times, sure, there are times for creative thinking in the room. It's a diverse set of meeting skills that make leaders great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, you spent a lot of time on a new book that's coming out shortly called A Great Place to Work for All. And I know this is is backed by a huge amount of research and there's some real practical strategies in it for people that are trying to create an all-inclusive workplace. I'd love to just really share with me a little bit about why this book came about and why I care about this book and what it will do for me. Sure. The, the quick story on, on the why we, why it came about, and it's going to be coming out on March 13th. It's going to be found on Amazon. Also, we're giving it away uh, to everyone who comes to our conference, our summit, uh, March 7th to 9th in San Francisco. But the reason why we wrote it is that we really wanted to show that we have updated our, our thinking and our methodology, as we've t- talked about earlier, that we're not just talking about a great place to work. On average, when we took it, when we take everybody's scores on our employee survey for how good a culture is, but rather, is it consistently great? Is it great for all? And, and we highlight all the evidence that when you are consistently great for everybody and the whole organization, the business moves ahead. And I think the answer to your question about why might I care besides the business case we've talked about is two other things we really talk about is that well, these companies, these great places to work for all are not only better for business, but they're better for people and better for the world. And with the better for people piece, we've got a, a chapter where we cite a lot of research, including some of our own research that is about how the workplace ripples out to the rest of our lives as individuals. And it, it's a big part of how we feel our well-being, really, and our health. And uh, when we can be in a great place to work, we are in a flow. We, you know, we're bringing, feeling like our talents, our human potential is being fully realized. So that's a big part. And then it ripples even beyond our own personal well-being to our families, to our community, to the world. And so far as when you have these great places to work for all, not only are they kind of creating greater, healthier communities, better families where there's less you know, parents bringing the, the difficulties of work into their home life and, and having a more conflict-oriented family life, you know, we're yelling at the kids, taking their, their bad days out on the kids. But it really, these co- companies are building up the trust level in society. And at, at, at the right at the time that our society is polarizing on political terms and religious terms, potentially, these organizations have, have increased the level of uh, collaboration and care and camaraderie across the country and across the world in a, in a quiet way. So, they're really a, a positive force right now, and, and I hope that readers will, will see that, that this is another reason why we, we should all be twerking, working toward great places to work for all. Well, I appreciate you sharing that. And having looked at the book myself, I know it provides a, a huge amount of value. I do have one follow-up question just based on the companies that you've spoken to, because as a conference leader myself, and I know you're very involved the same way, quite frequently I'm approached by making sure that I have the right balance of genders and the right cultural balance within the speakers that speak from my stage. And when I have a podcast interview, if I don't have enough gender and cultural diversity, I start to get comments well. What I'm surprised is that generally the introversion versus extroversion is generally one of those things not discussed. And the reason why I bring that up is from a great place to work perspective, do you feel that the introversion-extroversion conversation happens at a leadership level around inclusiveness as much as perhaps gender and cultural diversity does? No. How about that for a quick answer? 
I think it's a it's a missing part of the conversation. I, I think that's a great thing about your your work and and your new book that I, I was happy to you know and, and read and endorse. I think you're really uh, you're you're helping to fill a gap. And it's again, it's not just a gap that's a nice to have to make introverts feel better. It's really for the entire society, for organizations and the society to advance. We've got to bring everybody along. And we for too long we've had an extroverted focused society. And uh, as a parent of two kids, one of whom I think is pretty introverted. This is, this is an important issue to me, and, and I know it to you and to a lot of other people as well, and, and I, I hope that the work you're doing is going to raise this conversation up to a higher level. Ed, I really appreciate your advice and all the support. I mean, you gave an amazing review for my book, which I, I really do appreciate, and I'm sure your book will do amazingly. I know that the whole team at Great Place to Work has worked incredibly hard on it, so I, I'm really excited to see that out in the world and in the hands of people that can actually make a difference in the workplace as a whole. Great. Well, it's our pleasure to keep keep plugging along there, Matthew. <laughs> well, great stuff. Well, Ed, I know that, you know, I managed to, to get you in before your big conference is coming up in San Francisco in the early, I think it was this, you said the 7th to 9th of March. So I won't, I won't take you any longer, but I really do appreciate you sharing so much value with, with the listeners of The Introvert's Edge. My pleasure to be here. Perfect. Well, for everyone that's listening at home today or perhaps on their drive into work or home from work, thank you so much for listening again today. If you enjoyed the content today, I urge you to to go to iTunes or Google Play or any of the other platforms that allow you to listen to this podcast and make sure you click subscribe and post a review. Your reviews and subscriptions really do help to raise us to the top of those charts and allow more introverts perhaps looking for content on how to be successful in both business, their careers, and their lives access this content and start to really change direction in where they're really heading. So I really appreciate everybody listening today, and I look forward to seeing you in the next episode of The Introvert's Edge. Cheers. I'm on a mission to empower introverts to be proud of who we are introverts have had to deal with the stigma that we just can't be as successful in business or in sales as our extroverted counterparts. We're different and we need to embrace that. I instinctively shied away from sales. I didn't want to be a salesperson. My closing ratio has gone from 15% up to close to 80%. We nearly quadrupled the number of meetings set with clients. Your book was a great revelation to me about me. I've been fortunate to receive some endorsements from some exceptional introverts. They've shared with me how much they resonated with the stories of these real people and how they transformed to being sales masters. It talks about the things that make an introvert successful. Every book was written for extroverts and there needed to be something for us. Get your copy of The Introvert's Edge today.